administrator for the city of Lawrence. I believe we have reached a quorum. Yeah, I think we have. Um, I guess to start the meeting, do you, we want to read the public uh, or the, the statement about speaking in public and all that? Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to city staff. When you're not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone by clicking on the microphone icon found at the lower left-hand side of the Zoom meeting. Uh, menu. A red line through the microphone means you're muted. Please remember to unmute when you're when you participate in the meeting. For those of you joining by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. When you're participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you're not participating in the meeting, you can turn your video off. The video icon is located by the camera on the lower left side of the Zoom screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting while your video is off. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you're not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send us a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's video to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. Anyone attending in person is asked to please keep their mask on unless they are speaking. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. All motions will need to be clearly stated. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Mr. Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right hand corner of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you might dial star nine. Individuals will be called on upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three minute time limit will apply. Thank you. All right, Smonty Silk Up Chair, thank you, Leah. Appreciate that. I am going to uh, take roll at this point so we can establish a quorum and then we'll get started with the meeting. So I'm going to read these in no particular order. Uh, Shannon Reed. Present. Tom Allen. Thomas Allen. Present. Is it Thomas or Tom? Uh, either was fine. Tom. Okay. Okay. Christina Gentry. I'm here. Paul Newsom. Here. Edith Guffey. Here. Dana Ortiz. Here. Erica Zimmerman. Here. Rebecca Buford. Here. Sarah Waters. Here. Ron Gacious. 
Ron? Present. Here, okay. Uh, Thomas Howe? Present. Monty Soka, present. Shannon Ori. Okay, it appears Shannon is not here. Uh, I believe everyone else is present. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Twelve members present. So I think that constitutes a quorum. So we will call the meeting to order and open the floor for public comment. Do we have anyone that, for public comment at this point, either in the chamber room or online? Okay. Seeing none, we'll close public comment. The next item is to approve the minutes of the August 9th meeting. Uh, I would entertain a motion to approve those minutes. Were there any comments? I move that we accept the minutes as, as submitted. Okay, Thomas sir. Howell, Lawrence Porter Realtors representative. Thank you, Thomas. Do I have a second? Ron Gaskus, Lawrence Chamber Representative, second motion. Okay, so we have a motion that's been on the floor. It's been seconded. Is there any discussion or comments regarding the minutes? Seeing none, I will call a vote. So I'm going to read you in the same order so we can do this quickly. Shannon Reed. Monty, I'm sorry. I, I'm having an unstable internet connection, so you cut out there for a bit, but I just okay. heard my name. <laughs> okay, so we have a motion and a second on the floor, and I'm calling the vote to approve the minutes from the August yes. okay. You approve? Thank you. That's what I thought. Uh, yes. Okay. Thomas Allen? Yes, I approve. Christina Gentry? I approve. I'm also having an unstable internet connection, so... Um, just letting you guys know that if I'm in and out, but um, I'm trying to make sure I'm here. So yes, I approve. Okay, thank you. Paul Newsom, Approve. Edith Guffey. Approve. Dana Ortiz. Abstain since I was not at the meeting. Erica Zimmerman. Approve. Rebecca Buford. Approve. Sarah Waters. Approve. Ron Gacious. Approve. Thomas Howe. Approve. Monty Soka. Approve. That is 11 approved, one abstain, or abstention. Uh, motion passes to approve the minutes. All right, the next, uh, we move to the regular agenda at this point. First thing we're going to do is welcome Thomas Allen. Uh, Tom, would you uh, just tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you brought brought you here? And then, sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, th yeah, thank you for um, allowing me to join you. Uh, this is a, um, I feel really fortunate to serve on the advisory board. Uh, I have a background in architecture and urban design. I'm currently I'm a lecturer at the University of Kansas, and um, I'm I, I think part of my interest in supporting uh, this board is uh, prior to my, my work here, and I still support um, some self-funded methods of, uh, we'll say, affordable housing. 
uh, through my work in Kansas City and along the urban core of Kansas City. And then prior to that, I was working with the DC Office of Planning in the District of Columbia and also working in neighborhoods that um, sort of uh, tangentially we were looking at affordable housing and density and things of that nature. Uh, I also have some experience working on homeless shelters in New York City. And, 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 and so um, throughout my career, sort of, I feel like I'm always working um, through different sort of funding methods or conversations about how to better affordable housing. So um, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to working with all of you. Thank you, uh, Monty Soka Chair. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, I'm sure we'll do our best to tap into your knowledge there in those fields. So, all right, uh, moving on uh, to the monthly financial report. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, um, so we collected about 80,000 in affordable housing trust fund sales tax in August. There's no change on the expense side, and we anticipate meeting our budgeted revenue for the year. Do you have any questions, Mr. Chair, or any other board members? Uh, any other board members have questions? Okay, so one of the things we're going to do today, and I want to pull, I want to skip down to item five, quick updates on the Porchlight Homes uh, memo, if uh, if the board would allow, because I think that will could potentially impact uh, item four on the agenda, and it has to do with the budget because um, we used the budget last time to determine we were going to spend approximately one point one million, uh, or offer up in the note fo one point one million and the porch light memo project. So um, could we go down to that? Is that okay to pull that up? Okay. Um, so basically, Mr. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Chair. Were you wanting me to pull up the memo or were you just ask, asking? No, I think we should pull up the memo and cover that item because that's going to impact four. And I think we need to address that before we get to item four. So I think we need to pull that up and uh, pull up that memo and go through that. You could do that. I'm happy to pull that up, Mr. Chair. <laughs> um, so the memo is on the screen here. And just to summarize, um, the Porchlight Project at 2314 Tennessee Street was funded by the A by the Affordable Housing Advisory Board um, in 2019. And we were just notified that that project is not going to move forward as planned at this time. And so um, to summarize, the 125,000 that was awarded for that project will be added back into the Affordable Housing Trust Fund account for allocation recommendation by the board in 2021 or it can be held for later use, whatever the board so chooses. Okay, so uh, thank you, Leah. Appreciate that. Um, so basically, this is going to put one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars back into our budget, uh, basically unencumbering it, which 
raises the amount of money that we could offer in the NOFO this time. So I think the decision that this board needs to consider is if we want to offer that, you know, want to raise the amount from 1.1 to 1.2 or whatever number somebody we've come up with, or if we want to hold that in reserve and issue that next time, uh, you know, not knowing what the economy is going to do and all that. So I am opening the floor for discussion on that topic. If anybody has any thoughts. Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Uh, Ron Gacious, Lawrence Chamber representative. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I'd like to see us roll this $125,000 back into the pot of funds that are avail available for this year. Uh, I don't know if we will have high quality projects sufficient or requests come in that are high quality uh, uh, sufficiently to spend all of the dollars. But uh, these were dollars that we'd hoped would already be put to use in our community by now. And, uh, you know, those dollars don't get, they don't buy any more if we wait six months or wait 12 months. Cost of materials and services is only going up. So I, 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 would, I would recommend that we put those dollars back into play as soon as possible. Okay. Any other thoughts, counterpoints? Mr. Chair, Thomas Howell, Lawrence Board of Realtors representative. I've been thinking about this since I saw the uh, commercial sign up on that property. Uh, I think that Ron's concept, Ron's idea makes good sense to roll the funds back in uh, and use them as needed, maybe as soon as possible, but uh, I think they should just go back into the pot. Okay. All right. I Monty soak up chair. I, I I guess I agree with that for the most part. I almost wondered if it was an opportunity to be able to purchase that site. If it was determined that that was a decent site for a project, you know, could the funds be used to purchase, actually purchase that site? And I guess as I thought about that, that could come through uh, through the NOFA process as a recommendation, you know, as a pro proposed project if it's a good site. So uh, I see Ron have his hand up. Go ahead, Ron. Yes, um, Ron Gacious, Lawrence Chamber representative. Mr. Chairman, I noted in the staff memo, the backgrounder, that there had even been discussion about increasing the number of lots on that site to 23, mm -hmm. but that that still wasn't sufficient to um, uh, make up for the higher construction material costs. So they decided not to go uh, forward with that. The first thing I thought of was, wouldn't it have been great if there was a representative of the city who was authorized at that time to negotiate with the developer and say, well, you know, if you increased it to 23, maybe we could sweeten the financial contribution from the housing trust fund. And if we thought we were gonna get 23 sites instead of whatever the previous number was, maybe we could come up with the difference in the um, uh, material cost. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what kind of authorization it would take for the city to be able to engage in that type of discussion. But it looks to me like that's that's um, a kind of discussion that might 
produce some good results for us from time to time. You know, fi find the projects that are borderline and then find out what needs it needs to take to push them into the let's go forward with this pot. Yeah, uh, Monty Sokup Chair, I don't, I, I like that idea. It might be a little far reaching. We, I'm thinking that the process for that is for the city art, you know, Leo or someone to talk with them about what would it take, and then they come back. We put the money back in the NOFA, NOFO. They come back with a new project that is, you know, 23 units, 32, whatever it is, and then make the appropriate ask to do that. I, I kind of think it might be far reaching for us to ask staff to renegotiate a deal that was approved in a competition process, you know, that's designed to be fair to everyone. So I, I, not that I, you know, don't like the idea, but I think process wise, that might cause us some problems. So I think my opinion is that right now, um, and I would ask for maybe a motion in this direction from the floor that we put the money back in the fund uh, and increase our uh, NOFA, NOFA funding amount to uh, $1.2 million and uh, then have staff then talk with them about bringing a project back in this round if they, if they think that's feasible. So could I get a motion to, oh, go ahead, Paul. I see you got your hand up. All right, um, just as a procedure question, I guess, um, you might have answered the bulk of my question and your comment, but is there, um, and I don't have current um, real-time data right now, but I know lumber futures have substantially come back to uh, um, where we'd like to see them. It's gonna take a little bit for that to show up um, in our local stores and, and things of that nature. I don't know how long um, uh, that project would have to allow those prices to come back down before they run out of time in the city's point of view. But um, I think you might've just answered the procedure question that they just need to come back with increased costs or something like that. All right, yeah, Diane, go ahead. Yeah, Mr. Chair, uh, Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I might just add that um, related to Mr. Gaitch's question, I do believe that um, that there would be that flexibility to talk with this particular applicant. For example, if during the discussion um, with the applicant that um, the, the, the comment was, um, well, if we had some additional funds, um, we might be able to do this. That could be an example of something then that we would bring back to this board. And we've done that before with timely, you know, time sensitive projects. Um, in the event that it's not time sensitive, then we would always suggest to the applicant that they go through the regular process. But I do believe that we have that flexibility to bring something to you and to the city commission, you know, um, at, at a different time if, if it's um, uh, particularly time sensitive. Monty Soka Chair, thank you, Diane. Appreciate that. And you know, we did uh, when we came up with the one point one million dollar number, we did hold back about a hundred thousand dollars of available funding that might be available to do something like that. Um, so, are there any other comments? 
Yeah, Edith. I just want to add my voice to to Ron's. I was really disappointed when I saw that they were not going to uh, proceed with this project. It's not like we it's not like we have a slew of projects just banging on our door. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we have really good ones like this, if we can find ways uh, to really encourage and support when the uh, circumstances change and we can negotiate to see what we can do to encourage them, as Diane uh, has indicated. I really hope that we'll do that and keep the process as um, flexible as possible. Okay, Monty, so, oh, Rebecca. Rebecca can be referred uh, with tenants to homeowners. Um, I do think, I completely agree um, with Edith, uh, you know, and Ron that we need to have a way that the city can tweak kind of affordability projects. And this was a unique circumstances of material costs we don't normally see go up like that. Um, but they always go up over time. And this really shows us the reality of development and how long it takes. Um, having said that and acknowledging that we can just hone that process i also think that due to arpa funds becoming available and a lot of energy around projects we actually do have quite a few uh, i mean edith is right we didn't have 20 project development projects coming to us last year or the year before but i think there are some things that have been put together um, with with all the agencies working on housing in town. Um, so maybe in this moment, because the, the application is coming up, if they could renegotiate, they could reapply just like any of the other projects. That, that makes some sense to me um, because I think compared to four previous years, there's a lot of acquisition and projects that we're trying to get in. Um, so I think we have some better, some better choices. Um, not to say this project isn't any good, but if they're really at a point where they have to redevelop and re-plat, um, that that's still, whether it's great or not, is still a, a timeout or takes a while to get to the final product. Okay, Samantha, soak up chair. Uh... I'm going to ask for a motion to add, uh, to accept this termination of that contract and to add that $125,000 to our current NOFA funding cycle. Can I get that motion from the floor after hearing the conversation? Sarah Waters, University of Kansas. Uh, I move that we accept the um the memo and the money back into the trust fund, but we reallocate it to the upcoming NOFA from Porchlight. There we go. This is Shannon Reed. I'll second that motion. Okay. So we have a motion from Sarah and a second by Shannon. Um, any discussion, any further discussion on that? Mr. Chair. Yes. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. I'm sorry to interrupt. I didn't um, catch if there was a dollar amount in the motion. So if it's a motion to reallocate all of it this round or uh, or just the 100,000. Uh, 
Ms. Sarah Waters, uh, I add to the motion uh, to accept all of it and to reallocate all of it into this upcoming NOFA. So 125,000, I believe, is all of it. Okay, so we have an amended motion to accept all of the full amount of the refund and reallocate the full amount into the new NOFO. Do I have a second of that amendment? I'll second that again, Shannon Reed here. Okay, so Shannon Reed has seconded the amendment. So we have an amended motion on the floor. Uh, is there any further discussion of that motion and amendment? Okay, seeing none, I'm gonna close the comments and I'm gonna call a roll. Uh, Shannon Reed. Approve. Tom Allen. Approve. Christina Gentry. Christina Gentry. Okay, she must have fallen off. Paul Newsom. Yes. Edith Guppy. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Approve. Sarah Waters. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Thomas Howe. Aye. Monty Sokup. Yes. That is 11 to 0. The motion passes. So we'll be adding that funding. To the, the to the nofo okay so the, uh that closes that agenda item uh as well as uh the monthly financial report if there are no further questions and we'll move on to the city identified properties for potential affordable housing development Good morning, everyone. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager, and I'll be walking you through uh, presentation materials related to this agenda item. Today, we will be updating your agenda materials with this PowerPoint presentation that I'll be sharing so that you can be sure to have a copy of that um, available. I will be sharing my screen a couple of times here, and uh, we'll go ahead and start that. So the first thing um, I wanted to do is just to uh, give you a little overview. The main subject of the discussion today is talking about city-owned properties for possible affordable housing development. And then we'll touch on some other possibilities um, as the memo outlines. So um, we start out with this large map that shows all of the city-owned property in the city. And as you can tell, we do own quite a bit of property, but most all of the property has a designated existing use, either for a city facility or, um, or a park or other, other uses. Um, one of the largest uses that you can see on this map designated in this um, uh, kind of bright green color it are our city parks. And so we have all of those shown here, both um, the current, currently designated ones and then future park um, opportunities. And we'll be talking about a few of the tracks that have been designated for future uh, park opportunities today. So I'm going to stop sharing that particular screen and move to um, the presentation materials for you.
And just to give you a little bit of caveat before we get into the, the information, um, I wanted to say that when we looked at all of the different properties that we have available, uh, we did focus on um, properties that um, were fairly free of, of use. We were assuming that those that did have a current use uh, would be very challenging to reallocate for another use, um, such as affordable housing. Um, in some cases, uh, that may be due to how the city acquired that particular parcel in the beginning, um, where we, um, we may have received that parcel with restrictions for the use, and that happens from time to time with some of the parcels. Uh, for example, sometimes when the city is given parcels for park uses, they come with a deed restriction that restricts it to that use uh, in perpetuity. Uh, in some cases, um, we have certain parcels that are dedicated to the city, um, and I'll just focus in on parks here for a bit, uh, that is otherwise undevelopable. So this would be property that is largely challenge for development, either it would be very costly to do development on it. Um, it may have some developable portions, uh, but, um, but it may have some large challenges such as, you know, large creeks or riparian areas that um, uh, really make development on the parcel challenging, but make for a beautiful park setting. Um, so our assumption when we looked at this and, and go through this memo is that, the, again, that the property that has current use um, would be challenging. And as I mentioned in the memo, um, it may not be always that it's impossible to reallocate that use to a different use. It, we're just acknowledging that that makes it a, additionally challenging. So this memo really focuses on properties that currently don't have a designated use. So I'll start to go through these different parcels and orient you to this uh, discussion. Um, the first parcel we looked at is the parcel the city owns at the uh, junction of K-10 and Bob Billings Parkway. So to orient you on the map here, and can everyone see the arrow that I'm sharing here? Okay, yeah. on the screen. All right, so um, K-10 here is located on the left part of the map with Bob Billings Parkway here. And for those of you who may be familiar, just to orient you a bit, um, this is the parcel that the fairly new Casey's is on. Uh, so this is a 4.64 acre parcel. It's adjacent to this parcel here um, that's somewhat irregular shaped. Both of these are fairly irregular shaped. Um, but this uh, adjacent parcel has recently been um, gifted to tenants to homeowners. And tenants to homeowners is working on a potential development project at this location. Um, we understand from Rebecca that this is ongoing. Um, and tenants to homeowners has requested that the city provide this parcel to tenants to homeowners for this larger development. So we've still been talking about that. I think that's probably a very viable use for this um, parcel. It's, um, it's rather small for other development and a, the adjacency to the tenants to homeowners parcel just makes both parcels very usable for that affordable housing use. So, and of course that, that um, use and the, the gift of that 
uh, property to the to the tenants to homeowners would have to be something approved by the city commission on a later date. And then I'll look at the um, downtown surface parking lot. So, so the recently completed downtown plan suggests potential for a redevelopment of some of the city surface lots. And that plan also does encourage housing in the downtown area. And we know that the downtown area is also in need of affordable housing. We do have um, some affordable housing developments that have gone in over the past decade in the downtown. And there may be some on the horizon in, in terms of private development. Um, but the city could develop a request for proposals for potential development partners for targeted redevelopment sites. And that would need to be a conversation uh, that the city commission would have at their level um, in talking about uh, what these potential uses might be. But for example, um, a request for proposals might outline that the city is looking for uh, mixed use developments, you know, to maximize commercial potential as well as some affordable housing uses on some of these parcels. Now I'll move to the southeast uh, part of Lawrence to look at the southeast Lawrence site. So to give you an orientation here, this is K-10 as it swings south on the south part of Lawrence. And this is where uh, K-10 um, enters into East 23rd Street. This is the site of the Douglas County Jail. And you can see this is the parcel that we're talking about, and it's a fairly large tract of land, uh, 37.81 acres, and there is a very small um, site here located on this, which is a pump station related to the city sewer infrastructure. And when we look at some of the additional um, sewer needs that we would like to make sure that we have accommodated on this site, this site would yield approximately 33 acres after that additional surface sewer storage for the future would be allocated. This um, parcel has been uh, currently designated as future park site. So, and it has been, you know, designated for that, I believe since the tract was originally acquired by the city. Uh, this uh, particular site would require annexation and zoning and would require um, extension of pretty significant infrastructure. As you see there, the cost would be between 17 and a half million to 20.3 million to extend that infrastructure in. When I talk about extension of infrastructure though, you know, there are some benefits to extending that infrastructure that would come with opening up additional property for development between the area where the infrastructure currently exists and this tract. And that would be the case with uh, the other tracks that that I uh, look at covering. Diane, this yes. sort of jerk. Could I, if we if if we were to you know look at that track, for instance, and to extend the infrastructure, is there opportunity then to develop a benefit district where those other parcels would, when they are developed, then pay for that input, pay the city back for the infrastructure? Is that a possibility to help defer that cost? Yes, that um, that could be something that we would look at. So that could be an option for financing. Um, the um, you know the the costs would have to be fronted in some way, of course. But a benefit district is um, is a mechanism that can then pay those costs back over time. Okay, thank you. Uh, one one other thing that I might um, just note on this 
uh, particular Southeast Lawrence site is we do have some funds um, available to in the capital improvement program that's been adopted by the city commission, um, a very small amount related to the pump station improvements that'll be done. So, um, so I do want to say that there's a little piece of this infrastructure that would be handled with that capital improvement program project. But um, overall, the costs that I'm talking about in the memo presentation today are largely unbudgeted with the exception of this one and one other one that I'll briefly touch on. So now I'll move to the uh, opposite part of the city on the Northwest side of Lawrence. So to provide you some orientation here, this <clears throat> uh, north-south road that the arrow is focused on is Folks Road. <clears throat> and then this road that is east-west that is partially uh, covered by my graphic is um, Peterson Road. And then the, the tract in this area is Martin Park to give you some, some idea. The particular site that we're talking about is located in this area. It is a 34.39 acre um, tract with this adjacent 9.4 acre pump station site. Again, this is, excuse me, this is part of the, um, the utility infrastructure that we have for our wastewater treatment system. And <clears throat> this um, pump station site includes the rather large acreage, again, for future surface um, storage for wastewater, uh, which is a really important thing for us to be considering as we move into the future. When we looked at the site, however, and this is the purpose of this part portion of the graphic, and we look at the mm -hmm. uh, floodplain map overlaid with the site, you can see that with the exception of kind of a small area here on the pump station site itself, and you know a, a little bit of area here, it's very largely encumbered by either floodway or floodplain. Um, and that really affects largely the developable area of this particular property. And when you look at the development costs in the area of almost 17, million to almost 20 million, we believe that this is, you know, relatively small return for that cost at this time until the city perhaps gets um, closer. This is also a site that currently is designated for future parkland and perhaps with these encumbrances of floodplain, that may very well be the best use of this site long-term. So this is one that, that we included, but we're not uh, really recommending. Uh, the next site is what we'll call the Wakarusa site. So this is on the southwest corner of the city. And to orient you here, this is K-10 again as it swings down to the southern part of the city. This is Clinton Parkway here. And this is Wakarusa. So we're on the northwest corner, basically, of Clinton Parkway and Wakarusa. We have a large site here. It's 118 um, acre tract. This site, though, is largely encumbered by a number of uses. So um, as you all know, this is the site of the, um, the Clinton water plant. It's located here. Also, we have one of the city's fire stations located here. We have some fueling operations 
um, on this track that the city uses. And this is a site that also was a former landfill. Um, so what, uh, what we talked about was, you know, is there any opportunity along the east side of this tract on along the Wakarusa frontage that perhaps could be carved out for affordable housing. Uh, we don't believe this would be significant acreage again here with um, this site largely being encumbered by other things um, and this history of the landfill. We think anything that would be done on this tract would require some further environmental investigation to see whether that would be possible, uh, but there may be some possibilities um, on that site. And then we move to uh, the current site that is the city traffic facility site. This is located at 445 Mississippi Street. And to orient you here on the map, uh, this is the downtown area with the Kansas River bridges here. This is 6th Street. This is the site of Pinckney School. And you can see that it's just a little bit to the north of, um, of that uh, site. <clears throat> it is a 0.72 acre tract. Again, um, it does have the city traffic facility operations located on it. Uh, Leah took a great photo here of the site for you to show you the that building that is there currently. As part of an overall plan to move the city's municipal services and operations and various operational um, uh, portions of the city and our maintenance facilities to the farmland site, this city traffic facility is slated to move in 2024. We do have, this is the other capital improvement program item that I was mentioning. We do have budgeted in 2024, the phase one of uh, the field operations campus project that would move the site um, to, that, to that facility. And uh, so that would mean that in some point in the future, this would be then um, unutilized by the city. Um, likely this facility would need to be raised to be able to be appropriate for a residential use, but this could be also a possibility. It is in the middle of a residential area at the, at the current time. Now I'll transition to um, a few notes about some non-city owned sites that I think are worth um, considering. Um, first, we have a site that is located within the city. Uh, this is a site that is owned by the school district, USD 497, and it is um, directly contiguous to Holcomb Park. In fact, I imagine that a number of people who've been around Lawrence for a long time sort of just have assumed that this is part of the park, but in fact, um, uh, this is a, a, a portion of the park site on the northwest corner that is owned by the school district with the remaining property owned by the city of Lawrence. And to orient you here, um, if you don't know where Holcomb is, um, this is Lawrence Avenue, um, and then this is 27th Street. So again, we're talking about this corner of the site. It is 8.78 acres. Um, the school district is interested in selling the site at a market rate. Um, it um, does have a, a building here um, on it that I believe used to be the alternative high school at one, at one time. Um, there would be infrastructure costs to have this property be 
housing in the future. Our estimate of that would be about 350,000 to 400,000 to bring that uh, those utilities to the site. And you may ask, well, it's right in the middle of the city, but this site has not been, um, um, there, there is not a water line that's been extended um, to it and um, there would be sewer and other um, stormwater infrastructure that would need to be extended to the site that would make it viable for housing. And that infrastructure cost estimate doesn't include the infrastructure that would be required on the internal portions of the site. But that's just a property that might be worth looking at. Um, again, I mentioned in the memo that there was a, an appraisal that was done on the site um, several years ago um, that placed the value of, or the appraised value um, at the time at 1.35 million. And just a note about some other privately owned development site potential. So we do know that obviously there's much, the vast majority of, of property within the city is um, privately held. Uh, we do know that there may be lots that may be available for, um, that would be adjacent or within existing residential areas that somebody may be interested in selling off. And, you know, from time to time, as I'm sure um, Thomas can attest that, um, you know, there are owners that are interested then in those kinds of sales. Um, and those properties uh, sell for then infill redevelopment opportunities. And there may be larger tracks that are currently held by um, larger interests or developers, you know, to look at, at um, various opportunities in the future. Uh, I will note that the city of Kansas City, Missouri recently issued a request for proposals broadly to the community seeking vacant properties that might be able to be developed into affordable housing. That might be a strategy um, to see if there would be any interest in the um, privately held property owners uh, in, in either partnering with the city or selling their property for this purpose, or perhaps gifting property for this purpose um, to the community. And so that could be something that is, is almost um, um, uh, just kind of to put a toe in the water to see what interest may be out there. And you never know what we might be able to get back um, and what who may be interested in those possibilities. And then I would say that, um, you know, there are other possible opportunities when we think about the city's infrastructure investments. We have a finite amount of resources to put toward infrastructure. We know we have a large amount of maintenance responsibilities with infrastructure um, currently, and uh, that consumes a lot of city resources. And, you know, from time to time, there are, there's needs to extend city infrastructure to um, help with developing other areas of the city. And there's been a lot of discussion about this. Um, the city has the potential to grow at the current time in a variety of different directions. But um, this may be important to look at how do we um, best leverage are limited and finite resources for infrastructure extension um, to open up the most amount of, of developable property for you know, future private development, which may include 
um, affordable housing opportunities and maybe even you know publicly held properties uh, that could be then be utilized for um, for affordable housing. So uh, these are just things I think that it's important for everybody to contemplate um, when um, when thinking about um, these opportunities. And um, you know again, if we go in one direction or the other, as, as you've seen with the parcels that we've shown, they all are quite expensive to develop. And um, you know, thinking about the the opportunities of the properties within the the range of where the city infrastructure is currently and where it would be extended would be important to think about. In other words, how much acreage are we opening up and what kind of possibilities are we opening up for the city in general? And then just um, a couple of other uh, notes. Again, I mentioned um, we don't have any funds that have been budgeted um, at this time with the small exceptions that I mentioned um, in future capital improvement program that might assist with some of these endeavors. Um, if uh, the city did an open-ended request for proposals, for example, uh, we might want to ensure that we have some budget uh, for property acquisition, and that is not budgeted. That may be something that this board wants to talk about and um, how to use some of those um, affordable trust fund dollars uh, that that are available. You know, should should that be a consideration as you as you discuss these things? Um, and then I think as you discuss this item generally, you know, just to, just a reminder about the role of the board. Since you're an advisory board, I know the city commission will be looking to you all for um, your ideas and recommendations on the subject. And the commission would obviously need to take this up and authorize any other next steps that the city might take with regard to these areas. So at that time, I'll um, stop sharing here and I will um, be happy to answer any questions that you may have, and I'm real interested in the board discussion on this. Let me get up off mute there. Uh, thank you, Diane, Smonty, sort of chair. Uh, thanks for the presentation. I think there's some interesting possibilities there, certainly. Um, I just dotted down a couple things. Does anybody else have any questions, comments? Yeah, Rebecca. Thank you, Diane. That was really helpful. To, it's always helpful to visualize what we're talking about. Um, my question to you is um, when the Board of Realtors and the Home Builders came, they had five other kind of development lots that they were suggesting. Um, and I'm wondering if there's been any traction on those sites and if those could be, I mean, I am not, I am not in favor of the city dollars going to develop for for-profit developments, but if, if you, we can make a deal where we can create market rate development opportunities and affordable housing, by donating some of the infrastructure. Some of those sites like the Kitzmiller property and others seem to be potential for that kind of collaborative approach and seems like it would be a win-win for the city to deal, 
kind of two birds feed two birds with one scope which is my new my new <laughs> phrase instead of killing birds which i've done for years um <laughs> but you know help with affordable housing as well as supply issues for market rate and the other benefit as we're constantly talking about is we don't want giant developments of affordable housing next all affordable right so we get that mixed yeah. income approach yeah. Uh, your thoughts on that or where that discussion has gone in the city? Yeah, Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I would say that those kind of opportunities um, are, um, are are definitely worth exploring. And um, and that's what I kind of mean by the, um, you know, the development partner potential with some of this. Um, and, you know, a um, looking at a request for proposals might be a way for us to organize that in such a way to see, provide an opportunity for everyone who has available property to submit that to the city. And then there kind of to be an orderly way of looking at all the different options, deciding, okay, these, these may be the best things to proceed with and that kind of thing based on the proposals that come in. Um, so, so that may be helpful in order to structure uh, that kind of a conversation. Okay. Uh, any other questions? I have a couple questions, but I'd like everybody to chime in there. Okay, Monty, so Chair, I'm going to ask a couple questions. Um, right at the beginning of your presentation, Diane, you talked about designated uses, and um, I know we've personally looked into this a couple that have had those, and uh, I wonder how, I'm, I guess I'm curious how hard you think that those would be to you know get amended or changed because i look at i mean I'm, we were looking at holcomb park there and you know there's 200 feet of green space between the back of the fields and the neighborhood next to it and there looks like there's enough room to put something in there potentially you know the infrastructure's there city owns the ground but i don't know what the designated uses are or how stringent those are and i guess i would ask you know that maybe we need to look into some of those I mean, some of them are maybe immovable i get that but i think there might be some that aren't immovable and it might pick us up five lots or eight lots or something and that kind of really meets our goal of dispersing those units throughout the community if we could do because i look here at holcomb park at Prairie Park on the north side, uh, along the street, there's a place where it really wouldn't impact the use of the park, but you could probably put a string. I know, uh, I know we've looked at Dad Perry and that's got its own issues, but I also think about like Rock Chalk Park. There's some area out there that, you know, we could put five or six lots in, in an area and really not impact the use of the park. So I guess I'm asking, what would we need to do to look into that? I think we're gonna have to be creative, really creative. And we're, to, in my opinion, we're gonna have to push the commission a little bit to maybe, you know, look at some of these tougher things to look at. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I would say, you know, again, kind of how I started out this, the memo and the discussion um, was we were trying to not focus so much on those, just understanding that even if we don't have a challenge like, okay, that 
it's not developable right or it is not um uh it's restricted in some way because of the deed the way that it was required by the city we do know that almost any of those sites will have a um a strong constituency that you know is not interested in changing the use of that property there there would be a sense of loss associated with it so i'm not saying that it's not impossible um and this this is the reason why they um their policymakers you know at the city so um you know this could be something that the the board maybe um if if this is something that you want to recommend the city commission that they um direct us to look more deeply at these existing uses uh, we could do that, but in order to do that, we have to carefully look at the 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 history of the of the deeds on the property right. um, to know whether it's even possible, and then have some degree of evaluation similar to what we've done with these other properties, where we get an idea of of what um, you know what utility extension costs and those kinds of things might might be able you know might need to be incurred but that was kind of the reason why we didn't um look at each existing use um in this exercise i guess right. uh, thank you dan appreciate that um comment mr chairman yeah yeah Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, uh, Lawrence Chamber representative. Uh, Diane, I, I think your comments and the openness that you're expressing, you know, what, what I hear is there's a chance maybe to do something. I'm not hearing that doors are closed. I'm, I'm hearing that there are some opportunities uh, out there and, and we just have to figure out what are the best ways to, to pursue some of those forward. It'd be really interesting to see uh, what Kansas City, Missouri's RFP looked like uh, when they were soliciting lots from private developers. Because, you know, we talk about there aren't enough lots. Well, there are some lots out there that developers haven't been able to do anything with for a long time. Maybe they could be applicable uh, for some of our needs. But I wanted to comment on one thing that you said, which was you implied that even if we didn't have site restrictions, that to go in and change a prevailing use or a, a current use, even if it's just, as Monty has pointed out, 200 feet of open green grass that doesn't get watered, um, neighbors will respond unfavorably to a proposal for affordable housing. Well, we've heard that from the east side of town and we've moved forward with the projects regardless of NIMBY opposition. I'd hate to think that we can't go across Iowa Street and do something on the west side because somehow those constituents' voices are more important than the ones on east side. What I've heard from every commissioner that's spoken to me about this issue is they want projects on the west side of town, find a way to make it happen. And I, I you know, there's an empty lot in my neighborhood they just came down in price to $200,000. It's an awful slope. I don't know why anybody would want to build a home there. And the previous owner cut down all the trees, silly guy. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to find opportunities west of Iowa to meet our own commitments to ourselves and our commitments 
to the city. And so I, I'm really interested in turning over every rock and opportunity. I'm excited to see what might be happening out at uh, K-10 and Bob Bob Billings. That's a wonderful site out there and would be a, a, a great place for uh, a, a nice a nice housing development. Mr. Chair, can I comment? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. Um, yeah, thank you, Mr. Gacious, for those comments. Um, I, I do want to clarify, I, I did not mean at all that um, this would only be a west side issue or east side issue. Um, all I'm suggesting is that anytime you have a city-owned parcel that has long time been a certain use, um, or a park, there will be strong feelings about um, that. And, and it may not be just from adjacent neighbors, it may be more broad than that. Um, but it will be a it will be a reality that there will be, you know, challenges to that, that going to a different use, you know, from time to time, we do get um, pushback, um, or concerns about certain kinds of development um, that are on private parcels. Um, but, you know, what I'm talking about here is on public, in changing the uses of public property. Um, so I think that opposition would come no matter where it would be geographically and just would be something that we would have to understand and, uh, you know, go into with um, very open eyes. Okay. Thank you, Diane Smonty. So, Chair, I have one other question. I wondered if, uh, if this, the, parcel behind the new police station was considered there's a part there's an eight acre parcel uh behind i guess it's be north of the parcel where the police station sits and there's also a five acre parcel next to it along uh wakarusa drive i wondered if those were omitted for some reason um because that, that I don't think that land's restricted. Maybe it is. It's it's had multiple proposals for different uses. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. Um, yes. Um, the the reason why we did not include in this particular memo that property is because while it's not only just a future use designation for a park, this and it, it's um, this part of this parcel has already been developed for trails. It does have a park master plan that has had extensive um, uh, public involvement in creating that master plan for that particular park. So that was the reason why we didn't include it in the analysis. Um, could it be if the city commission so directed that could be, but um, but again, the the rationale was the time and extensive work that the city has just recently done with the community on planning for that future park. And there, um, again, if you if you haven't been out there, some of the trail work has already started um, on the parcel that is um, just north of that new police station. Thank you for that answer. All right, any other questions? Come, Rebecca. Diane, I'd, I'd love, well, and AHAB members, I'd love for AHAB to recommend um, that we do have an RFP 
um, this moment in time is a great time to do that um, because there is a group, county, city group, and agencies that are put that are an acquisition team for ARPA funds and for affordable housing uses that have already started that process and reached out. We also are currently talking to Justice Matters to reach out to their group of kind of private citizens, maybe have a lot or a rental. Um, so continuing in that vein, but with the power of the city as a requester, I think that would just enhance and amplify that process so that we really can find the best and most viable infill projects. Um, and have a waiting list of some great private, um, you know, nonprofit partnerships to really develop affordable units throughout the city. Um, so I would love to see that happen. I guess I would hope if my AHAB colleagues would be willing to make that recommendation um, that the city kind of put that on on their timeline and and do that sooner rather than later so that we're prepared for the 2022 funding opportunities, some of that we all know, it's kind of like we need the projects kind of defined or investigated, like Diane was mentioning, developments take two years often, but that we've done some of that immediate investigation on these sites so that when federal funds can be leveraged, as well as housing trust fund dollars and other dollars, that we can say, here's our project, we're ready to go. And we have a purchase option with this owner in the community. Um, so I would love to see that happen sooner rather than later. Can I make a motion for Ahab to recommend that? <laughs> However you want to do it, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we could have a motion to recommend that. You want, uh, let's make sure everybody has a chance to comment on that if you any comments on those? This, on is Shan, this is Shan Reed here, uh, Douglas County Commission. I, Rebecca, thank you um, for saying that. I I 100% agree and would support that motion. I wonder if we should discuss some of the other recommendations and see how much consensus there is on more than one recommendation in a motion. Or, Monty, do you think it's better to kind of parse out motions for one recommendation at a time. <laughs> <laughs> because I well, always throw in there, I, I support that wholeheartedly. Um, and I would really like to see some some sort of action on the um, the surface parking lots, which I guess now that I'm saying that out loud, that is kind of, that's part of the, the downtown master plan. So perhaps um, there is, but I just want to really like amplify support for that and to maximize that space and to be intentional about it being a really mixed income, truly accessible space, which has not historically been the case with downtown developments. Um, so I think that's an opportunity. So that's, that's another recommendation that's top of mind. I think we could make more, but I'm interested in feedback about whether to make multiple motions or talk about a few recommendations for one motion. Right. So this is Monty Sokup Chair. I'm think I'm kind of leaning towards um I, I think we put an RFP out there. Um 
we need to have we need to provide enough direction that somebody can respond to the proposal. You know, if we're going to offer, you know, if there are five parking lots downtown that we're going to offer up as opportunities, you know, to provide, you know, a mixed income development there and we're going to provide the ground and, and expect to get the parking back and all that kind of stuff. I think we need to put out an RFP for that kind of specific project. Um, or if we have a parcel of land, I think that's different than what Rebecca's asking. Um, yeah, Diane, go ahead. <laughs> Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I might encourage the board. Monty, I think what you're saying is exactly right. That, um, you know, typically if we were going to offer up a particular piece of property, um, such as a down, downtown parking lot or a couple of them, I think the city would want to be specific what kind of development partners we're looking for, what we're trying to achieve. We would want to have a lot of detail spelled out to make sure that um, the expectations of the person responding is going to be along the lines of what we're hoping to receive. And then, um, so I do see that as a little bit of a different request for proposals in, um, in more detail than a very high level general, hey, bring us your ideas, bring us your properties, and we might want to have some, you know, more structure to that, but I kind of see that along the lines of what Kansas City has done. Um, I think that um, I might suggest that the board, um, uh, I don't feel um, uh, constrained by all of those details. I think if you would just make a general recommendation, then, then we could certainly take it from there with the city commission and, and um, get some direction from them as well and figure out what might be the best approach for a request for proposals on any of these ideas. Okay, <laughs> so this so is I think, uh, wow. Um, I'm not sure Mr. Chair? Yeah, go ahead. This is uh, Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted mm -hmm. to make sure you are aware that um, Ms. Ortiz has had her hand up to speak. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. Go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Um, I just want to echo and ask a question of Diane. Uh, the support for a general RFP about properties, I'd love to see what and how Kansas City, Missouri put out that proposal. Um, cycling back a bit, several conversations back where Rebecca talked about this money, this planning sessions that are going on with the city and the county and, and uh, human service providers and community organizers in town right now dreaming big about shovel-ready projects should the county and the city get some of this ARPA money or when it comes. And just in general casual conversation, we came up with the dozens of potential projects of, of property owners that might want to sell some uh, sites and lots. So I think it's out there. We just need a very good vehicle to understand how we can find out where those properties are located and begin to have conversation about them. This would be a tremendous opportunity to get scattered sites across the entire city, possibly with funding that could be braided with other funding sources such as AHAB um, money and some ARPA money that could come through. I mean, this could be not just a few units here and there, it could be a number of units if we had a nice structure and process to do this together as a community. 
Thank you. A small circle chair. Thanks, Dana. So, do you does uh, when you think about asking the city staff to get the Kansas City, Missouri RFB, kind of go through that, see what works for us here in Lawrence, come back next month with uh, some suggested language or something that could go out that maybe we could put out to um, for looking for these sites, not for projects necessarily, but for looking for these sites that we might be able to uh, uh, to gather. And then at that, you know, if we, if we can then get the site, get not have knowledge of the sites, then we can start evaluating sites and ultimately get to the point where maybe we're going to push forward on a project. Does that sound like a reasonable path forward to everybody? Go ahead, Diane. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I, I think um, I think what would be an important step in between is for the board to make a general recommendation to the city commission that we could then take to the commission, um, get the commission's authorization to proceed, and um, and then you know kind of loop everyone back with um, with kind of the next steps after that. So that would that would be my suggestion of uh, this group, and then that makes makes a sure that um, the city commission is very much on board with what the advisory board is recommending and um, uh, and buys into that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Ms. Monty Sokup Chair, I am going to try to throw out a recommendation to the city commission here, I guess. Um, recommend that, um, I don't maybe Diane, maybe you should do that. <laughs> uh, Diane, do you want to try to take a stab at what we should recommend to the city commission to? Uh, well, what I was hearing was thinking. Yeah, Diane Stoddard, assistant city manager. Um, what I was hearing was that there was interest in and uh, looking at the a citywide um, request for proposals and general interest, much like the Kansas City one. And then I was hearing that there was um, um, interest in the city, you know, proceeding in some way with the redevelopment of the downtown parking lots or, you know, or one or more of them, um, which will, I think, require a lot more, a lot more detail. Um, but those were the two things that I was hearing. And the board could put that just in the form, I think, of a general motion if, if that's uh, reflective of your discussion. This is Shannon Reed here. I'm, I'm happy to take a stab at a motion. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, I, um, I move to recommend that the city commission consider issuing a request for proposals seeking development opportunities from private property owners um, akin to the Kansas City, Missouri RFP. All right, go ahead, Ron. Ron Gacious, Chamber of Commerce representative. I second that motion. All right, so we have a motion on the floor and a second. Any discussion? Yeah, I have one small yeah. question, Tom Allen, um, a board member. Um, is this 
is this RFP, um, is this through um, the Neighborhood Housing Services with uh, run by John Wood? Is that is that the sort of like under the direction of this or do we do we know that? Um, and it's kind of leading into a sub question is, um, you know, a lot of the work I was doing with Casey Mo uh, in, along the urban core, I think one thing to also recognize what, that we recognized is there were a lot of out-of-town landowners. And I, I also wonder if um, if within this later on, we need to identify the, those landowners that are maybe uh, um, unaware of this opportunity and maybe call on these developers or community members to help identify groups that maybe um, are aren't sort of like actively trying to develop their property. Is that, does that make sense? And, and I don't think this needs to be added to this, uh, this uh, motion, but I think um, within that, trying to figure out ways to reach those people that maybe aren't sort of directly looking for this opportunity. Thank you. Go ahead, Rebecca. Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. Tom, you're absolutely right. And I think the acquisition team is doing some of that. So this is more just trying to let people know that that's simultaneously going on. And I think what could be helpful is, you know, this RFP for those that aren't involved in that kind of recruitment. Um, some of that's just visually driving around and then looking for property owners, like you said, in other states and giving them a call or or having connections with churches or, you know, places we've just known those of us that build and develop affordable housing that we've seen that vacant for a long time. But it doesn't really get at something that's not obvious, you know, or a, a redevelopable property, which is what I'm thinking this more generic affordable housing uh, RFP could could capture a few more of those. Um, and I think we should put affordable housing. I know akin to the Missouri or the example probably addresses affordable housing, but we probably need to put that as part of the objective is my only thought on that. Okay. So we have uh, Rebecca, this is Chair. Do you think we need to amend the motion to include uh, the purpose of the RFP is to seek out properties for affordable housing opportunities? Well, we Shannon said it well. We akin to that. I assume that's part of that because that's what Diane mentioned. But I guess if it's not, I would like to include that in it. So, however we want to, however we're wordsmithing that. Diane, this is Shannon Reed here. If you want to, if you think it should be amended with a bit more um, words <laughs> like that, then I'm happy to do that. But I yield to your preference. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. I think it's certainly understood uh, by staff that that uh, we're talking about affordable housing possibilities here. Okay. All right, Smonty, so good, Chair. Uh, is there any other discussion on that? I'm gonna call a vote then. Shannon Reed. Yes. Tom Allen. Yes. Christina Gentry. Paul Newsom. Yes. Edith Guffey? Yes. Dana Ortiz? Yes. Erica Zimmerman? Yes. Rebecca Buford? Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. 
Ron Gages? Yes. Thomas Howe? Yes. Monty Soka? Yes. Shannon Ori? Yes. Motion passes 12-0. All right. Is there any other discussion on that? We have a little bit more on our agenda. So if we have something important, certainly we want to talk about it. But otherwise, I'll move on. Okay, thank you again, Diane. Appreciate the work on that and the staff's work on that. Certainly brings up a lot of opportunity. So we're gonna move on to the uh, review and approve the 2021 Affordable Housing Trust Fund Notice of Funding Opportunity and Associated Materials. So uh, Leah, I'm gonna turn that over to you. I know we have to fill in a few blanks and also look at the uh, the matrix because that has we've modified the matrix. So I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Would so at the August meeting, the board approved the notice of funding opportunity in the application. Um, as you stated, there are just a couple of blanks that needed to be filled in um, in regards to the matrix, matrix. Would you like me to pull those up again for the board to review a final time before uh, final approval? Please. Or, okay. Just quickly, because I think it's going to take some time on the matrix. Let me scroll up. So this first document is the application. Um, just quickly reviewing it. Um, sorry, I need to adjust my view here. Um, the applications will be due in electronic and hard copy by 5 p.m. on November 1st. Uh, you see the application checklist. Nothing has changed. Um, on this since the board last reviewed. Um, the application will be combined with the notice of funding opportunity for a notice of funding opportunity packet. Um, and really that's the only change that will be made. And I'm just scrolling. So please let me know if there's a section that the board would like to look at. As I said, nothing has changed since the board's last review. Okay. Are, are there any questions about it or um, is the, would the board like me to go over any specific? Uh, on this page, Leah, this Monty Soka chair, did, did we, we did make one small change here on additional leverage. Oh, that's, uh, that's right. Thank you, Mr. Chair for reminding me. So we did add in, um, just these line items to prompt people to remember to include these expenses in a comprehensive budget. So in addition to the developer fees, which were there before, to also add in administrative costs and personnel um, in, in hopes that uh, it would be more clear for our nonprofit partners um, how they are providing the leverage projects um, similar to how developers are. 
Any discussion about that? This is Monty Sokup Chair. So we talked about this, and I don't think we've been capturing this well in previous NOFOs. Uh, the fact that I'm, I'm going to just use this as an example, but let's say somebody made a funding request for vouchers, um, and the funding request maybe reflected that there was no matching funds when actually there were services provided to administer those. Uh, vouchers and wraparound services that were provided, not asked for in the funding. We're hoping that those would be then counted as matching funds, essentially, or matching uh, in-kind um, services provided to administer some of those things uh, to show what other monies are being uh, commingled to make a project go. So we're that's what we're trying to capture there. I don't know if we did it successfully, but that's where that came from. All right, so let's go on to the matrix. Uh, Mr. Chair, this. Yeah. this is Leah Roseland, Affordable yeah. Housing Administrator. Uh, Ms. Ortiz has her hand up. Yeah, I see that now. I see oh, it. Okay. I said that, I saw her wave. Thank you. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. I'm short, so I can understand why you wouldn't see me in person, but on Zoom. <laughs> Everybody's about um, yeah. the size of a posted stamp. <laughs> so okay. I, um, I, I would just concur with your um, observation, Monty, that as a nonprofit, I would not necessarily see the way it's listed as expenses as leverage. So I think having additional detail in there with the additional leverage question for the purpose of nonprofits would be helpful. Help, a helpful clarification. Thank you. This is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. Ms. Ortiz, can you please clarify um, what changes you'd like to be made or if you're, or are you saying that this is good how we have it? So we added in a question here, additional leverage, e.g. agency match and kind, et cetera, um, that nonprofits can fill in. And then on the expense table, so the budget tables are different than the last application. Um, so they're not um, specific to the type of project as reflected on the last application, but also um, there are just a few sort of standard questions that we're asking. And then um, applicants can put in however many additional line items under expenses as is necessary. So are there additional fields or questions that you'd like to see to reflect the nonprofit like leverage? Yes, thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Um, I believe additional leverage to have it perhaps as a table as you have expenses would help clarify to somebody filling this application out that potential leverage that you're bringing to the application isn't just the funding, but it all, and the words say that, but it's also an estimate of a total dollar amount. I think it would be helpful for us as reviewers to also know, okay, they're bringing staff time, they're bringing um, volunteer time, they're bringing additional funding from other grants, you know, things like that, that would show it um, perhaps in a table form. Uh, but then that's also how my brain thinks very kind of systematic like that. So anything we can do to help the 
applicant and the reviewer understand additional leverage. If there's just a number of 500,000 there, I'm not sure I would um, understand as a reviewer what where they got such a number. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Thank you for clarifying. Can you further expand on um, why those may not be reflected in the expense budget table? Well, that's a good question. I look at leveraging and expenses perhaps differently. Leveraging, um, maybe if we tie that ex additional leverage to be detailed in the expense table below or something that simple would help help link those two. Thank you, Ms. Ortiz, that makes, that makes sense. So I, um, I will add a note on this leverage to detail in the expense budget below if, if all board members are good with that. Monty Sokup, Chair, I think uh, I am, but maybe you put down here in the expense thing, put in-kind or agency services or something like, so there's a couple more line items there instead of just administrative, you put so that it's tied back. Does that make sense? Where you have like personnel add another thing that says agency services or So there's an example down there. You've got examples of a for-profit type. Okay, I think. Monty said the chair, does that get it, kind of get it for everybody on that? Okay. This is Leah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Leah. I was just going to go back to you. <laughs> okay, thank you. This is Leah Rosano, Affordable Housing Administrator. So we're good on the budget and leverage side. Are we ready to move on? Or are there? Yeah, okay. Um, is there anything else that the board would like to review in terms of the application? I, I do need to clean up the formatting, but in terms of the content. Disclosures. We ready to move on? Yeah. Okay. This is the notice of funding opportunity. So again, the board reviewed at the last meeting and since the August meeting, there have just been two changes made. Um, one is the date that um, the recommendations will go to city commission for approval. Um, I got too excited <laughs> thinking they'd be able to look at it the next day. So we had to push that back a week. 
Um, and then I went ahead and just added the additional funds uh, available. Okay. Other than that, it'll look the same as last month. Are there any particular sections or questions or items the board would like to go over? I'm not sharing screen. Well, you are. It's just not moving. Yeah, you can see it says down there your screen sharing is paused. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's frozen up on that one. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable <laughs> Housing Administrator. I'm sorry. Apparently, the share screen is frozen here. There. Okay. Thank you, Danny. Sure. <laughs> so there it is. I don't know if the board could see that previously. Anything else we want to look at with the notice of funding opportunity? Ready to move on to the matrix? Okay. Please do. Okay, so I'm gonna walk through the matrix briefly um, as it will look different than the last NOFA. Um, so a couple of things that I wanna walk through. One, all the items on the table here that are highlighted in blue are fields that I will fill in for you before you get the matrix. So when I receive the applications, I will go through them all and make a separate tab for every applicant organization or agency. Um, and I will go ahead and put in, you know, their name, the project name, the type, the amount requested. And I'll go ahead and put in the leverage score um, based on um, the benchmarks here. If, if, the board would like me to go ahead and do that since it'll be standardized. Um, the other items, the each board member will rank and review and give a score. Um, again, given the benchmarks that are provided in each of these possible score tables here. Um, the final score will be out of 100 with 100% being the highest, it'll automatically total here. This is a space where each reviewer can enter um, comments and recommendations pertaining to that particular individual application. Here, just a little cheat, cheat sheet note for yourself if you're recommending funding, yes, no, maybe. And then here are the pre key project elements. So I will include that on each um, matrix agency ranking so that that's provided to you both in a table comparing each applicant in addition to you'll have it on the worksheet um, for that particular application. So I'll enter the leverage ratio, the developer fees, AMI, et cetera, all of this information that you can have in handy when you're reviewing. Um, so again, there will be multiple tabs, one for each um, applicant. 
this will be um, a compilation of what each board member is recommending for funding. And so again, where it's highlighted blue, I'll go ahead and fill out for you. And this will be filled in when you get it. I'll fill out the amount requested. The score will be populated um, depending on the score provided here. So it'll just be pulled using a formula. And then this is where um, we would like for you to go ahead and provide your recommendations for each applicant here. So that, and, and I, I obviously need to change the amount available and to submit this to me ahead of time, um, ahead of that meeting where um, the board is making the final recommendations. So that each individual board member is coming in with a balanced budget of recommendations. Um, what I will do with this is um, take each ind individual board member recommendation and come into that um, meeting with an average score that the board members are provided um, so that you can have your individual recommendations in front of you, but then publicly and on the screen, we can see what the average board recommendations for each project is. And that can just be used as a starting point for discussion. And then finally, um, obviously this needs all the formatting for when we get the applications, but this will be that key project elements chart with all of the information that's found here, um, just in one table for comparison. Any questions, comments, or changes from the board? This is Sarah Waters with the University of Kansas. So. I could I get a clarification? You're asking for us to give you a lot more detail after our review. And is, is my assumption correct that that would all become public information that would be available for anyone to receive? Because the piece if, that I'll tell you that gives me a little bit of pause is that your balanced budget request that we're already making recommendations after our own read. Um, because that's not really how my mind works. And I've always very much appreciated the way that this group, like I know who I think has, so that yes, no, and maybe makes a lot of sense to me to a certain degree, but I will have no idea yet until I use the expertise of, of my colleagues here of really how much and where to land. So that's just to be fully transparent of why I'm asking my question. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. If requested, the individual board member recommendations would be publicly made available. Um, this is, um, I shared with um, Mr. Stukup that um, several other boards that I've been on for the city, this is how we've done the funding recommendations. And it's been really beneficial to go into that meeting, having each individual board member already have an idea about what their individual recommendations are and to see sort of that average as a starting point for discussions or negotiations. But that within the discussions, that's not considered final. That's just considered sort of a starting place. I found that it's worked um, really well in the other boards that I've served on or helped provide support for, but it is obviously up to the board uh, to make that decision. Uh, Ms. Ortiz. Thank you. Um, Dean Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Uh, I, from a previous applicant, 
I would kind of concur. It sets us up for a discussion or an assumption automatically that whatever the project applied for, they will get less. And so it kind of inadvertently sets us up for applicants asking for more than they need, just in grants in general, because they know they're going to get less. If we're asking for funding for something, if it's legitimate funding and we're going to all this effort to do a full budget and stuff, that's what we're asking that we need. And then the question of what happens if you don't get full funding, we take that into consideration. So I'm kind of agreeing here with Sarah, not because of the um, public awareness of it, but the way it sets a path for those who are applying for it, it kind of sets a different purpose and understanding in the application process that unlikely we will get this full amount that we're asking for. We're going to likely get less, which if that's what the board wants to do, that's fine. Certainly foundations follow those rules sometimes as well, but I just want to put that cautionary note in there that inadvertently this could create a different perspective in the, in the minds of those making the application. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Can you clarify that, please? Are you saying um, as a result of individual board members not wanting to quote zero any projects out, that there would be a natural inclination to um, rec for individual recommendations for not full funding? Or, or is there something in the table that can... I think just by merely asking the question, it begs the statement that full funding is likely not possible or, or is, and maybe it's just the way I'm reading it as a previous applicant. Um, so I wouldn't mind hearing from some of the other previous applicants if that puts that question in their mind as they're thinking about applying for this. And, and quite frankly, that's kind of how we've run as an AHAB board for a number of years, giving partial funding to projects. Um, so maybe it's a discussion that we need to have as, a, as an agency. Um, and maybe it's much ado about nothing, <laughs> just from my perspective, having applied for these uh, previously. Monty Sokup, Chair, I think, I, I certainly understand where you're going. Let's, for instance, like say you entered a project that you would give full funding and I entered it at 50% funding, then the average then is at 75%. And if that's our starting place, that project, it could be perceived that that's the starting place, right? Whereas as we have a group discussion, we might go, that's a project that's worthy of full funding. So let's fund that which is kind of what we've done as a board. We've kind of picked our the best projects and fully funded them and then kind of got to the point where we maybe, you know, diced up the pie a little more and partly funded. So I certainly have my, it's a change and I'm certainly, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's good or bad yet. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know yet. Um, other people's thoughts on that? So this is Shannon Alry, uh, Housing Authority. Um, I uh, I still have this issue with leveraging for vouchers, which is a very different number. And I don't see, we've talked about it 
numerous times and I don't see any resolution or, or anything that addresses that concern that you are putting non-capital projects up against capital projects in a that generate a score that they have one area that'll be zero or very low points. So um, I'm not sure where we got off on that. I thought we were gonna fix that. Um, and then I kind of agree with Dana and Sarah in the sense of um, it's really hard to figure out what your recommendation is is sort of in a vacuum off a piece of paper um, and that some of it is some of the best discussions are about okay does this one do that thing or uh, amongst the board members and so having that sort of solid recommendation uh, coming into the discussion is a little bit hard, I think. Monty, so good, Chair. Shannon, uh, we, in that change we made with in the NOFO on asking for the in-kind services and wraparound services, the cost of those, that's where we were trying to address your question. We may not have gotten there. I. I'm not saying it's perfect. That's why we were talking about it. Yeah, so. and and the issue there, Monty, is that so I'm going to have staff that will do things, but this will be one percent of their time. So what I can put in something like that is a little teeny tiny. I mean, I'm not hiring new staff to do this. I just make them do more work, right? Um, and so that comparison as to something like a, a low income housing tax credit, where you're bringing tax credits in and capital, it, I mean, there is no possible way that, that a voucher or a services uh, request is gonna have a decent score in that bucket. It's just not gonna happen. Okay. Um. All right, well, I think, okay. <laughs> so we need to separate these two items. One, we need to go back and talk about that and how we fix that. We all, I think I wanna stay on this train of whether or not we put the recommended dollars in uh, our individual scores. So I'd like to decide if, we're, if we wanna do that or if we do not want to do that as a group first. And then we'll go back and address the leverage, okay? Um, this yeah. is Edith Duffy, uh, member at large. And I, I just want to ask, um, what is it we think we're gaining by doing that? Leah, what do we gain? Uh, we've not seen a problem with not doing it. What is it that you think we're gaining by doing that? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator, by coming in with individual recommendations. Yes. Um, so I have found it beneficial in my um, professional experience for a couple of reasons. One, it... Um, it 
really requires that every board member very carefully review and um, come in with solid understandings about what each application is and an idea of what their preference is, how, how they would like to see the funding go. And in that way, um, it increases equity um, amongst all voices at the table. Um, in, in every space, there are people who tend to um, be more vocal, and, and then there are voices that we hear from less. And um, when it's all verbal negotiations and recommendations, that leaves um, a greater possibility that the voices who speak the loudest or speak the most are having more of an influence on what those final recommendations are, because it's all verbal discussion. Um, there's no way to balance the quieter board members' voices. Now, maybe that hasn't been an issue. And if so, that's wonderful. Um, secondly, I also have found um, in my experience that it just makes the discussions easier to move along faster. It's just a starting place instead of starting from, you know, really no, uh, um, no awareness about where your fellow board members are prioritizing. It just gives a nice place to start from. Hmm. Hmm. That's helpful. Ron, go ahead. Uh, Ron Gacious, uh, Lawrence Chamber representative. Um, I'm a big supporter of transparency. And I believe that anything we submit back in writing ought to be available uh, and clearly is, I think, even under statutory requirements, uh, available under um, a Freedom of Information uh, Act request because we're an advisory board to the city and our, um, you know, our, our videos of our meetings and our minutes, all that stuff is open to subject open records requests and it ought to be. Um, but I, I do agree with a couple of the other comments. I don't fine tune and put a sharp point on my priorities prior to coming into the meeting. What I usually do is identify the two or three projects that I think I most want to advocate for and then do so at the meeting. Now that's me leveraging my skill set on the bully pulpit in a verbal discussion. So I am quick to agree that I am probably not the voice you want to listen to on setting these rules. Um, but, but I'm a big believer that everything we submit uh, ought to be available to the public. I honestly have not, um, I've, I've struggled just with ranking from one to six or one to eight, uh, my preference for projects as they come in. And you, uh, I can generate numbers for you, but I'm not gonna promise that I'm even gonna submit a balanced budget. I may not allocate all the dollars or I may allocate more dollars than we've got available based on how I feel about all the projects. And I'm fine if somebody sees that and wants to ask me a question about it later. Sarah Waters with the University of Kansas. I think Ron said things a little bit more clearly than I did there. 
um, I do believe in the transparency, which is why I wanted to ask the question, because I feel like if I have to submit it, it should be able to be viewed, but I won't be ready to submit it. I know based on past reading and which is where my, the spirit of my question came from, because it is a pretty big shift for us to go that way this time. Um, and it just doesn't feel like something I'll be able to do. And I also know that, again, I know it's just out there, but I feel like I won't be as best informed because discussion won't have happened and the strength of the members of this board will bring different things and bring different things that they noted to light. I won't have been able to fully consider that. And that's kind of how my mind is wired that I, I like to do my initial scores, be as thorough as I can be from the seat that I sit in, but then also learn a lot from what my colleagues again have seen, what they are bringing to light to Ron's point, what he's, what he's willing to, to advocate for um, what Edith is with Christina and others has been incredibly helpful to me in the long run um, through these readings of this over the, the last several years. Go ahead, Rebecca. I'm wondering, I appreciate this discussion and there's not one person I've disagreed with. I, I'm wondering if, again, part of that is the language we use on this even like draft recommended allocation before discussion I, I, you know i mean sarah would you feel a little better if it really was really like or does that just getting down to the that amount is just too hard at that draft level because uh, that's a great point and i my mind probably works that way too honestly that that cutting it down to that is is hard because you just aren't at that point but maybe saying that we're not at that point that in fact it would be very weird for the recommendations to be what you end up with that this is like the starting point because um, i appreciate leah's comments on having making us make that hard decision for a starting point um which does make some sense it's hard to do yes <laughs> but that maybe okay if you were asked tomorrow and you were the only decision maker how would you do it and i kind of would want to be able to see how everyone was thinking that before the discussion, um, knowing that that could completely change with discussion. So I don't know if that uh, helps at all in just thinking of that as part of the draft recommendation process and that, or maybe even giving two spots that you could, <laughs> Or, you know, a couple of scenarios that you'd feel comfortable with. This is Monty Sokup Chair. I'm, I'm sensing that the committee is not comfortable adding that column at this time. What I might recommend that we do is that in this, this round, we don't do that, but that we actually all personally do that and see what level of comfort you have and where you ended up in comparison. So that if maybe next time we have a NOFA, we can discuss this further and decide if we think it's a good or bad thing. I guess what I'm hearing at this point is mostly people are not as interested in having this. Is that a fair statement? Anybody feel strongly that we that they do want to have this recommended dollar amount. I feel like, personally, I feel like we're, I can see how that is could be useful and I, I understand the, the purpose of it, but I think in ranking the, the projects 
by score, we're essentially saying this is the best project and it ought to be funded heavily. And as we go down the line, other things can happen. Go ahead, Ron. Okay, Mr. Chairman, I am um, uh, vowing to uphold my unpredictability. I'm going to reverse field here. Um, I'm looking at the notes that I've just taken on the discussion. And one of the notes I wrote down is a comment from Leah that was in support of, she, she was responding to Edith's question. Mm -hmm. What are we gaining? In part, my notes for Leah's response says that it ensures thoughtfulness and equity of comment at the table. Okay? We've given a lot of lip service to these issues in the past. I'm going to recommend that we approve this portion of the NOFA as submitted because I think that um, we need to challenge ourselves to work on the equity issues of voices in our community. And um, if staff's recommendation is that this is going to help us do that, then I want to support that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Bit far beyond me to speak against equity. <laughs> um, however, I have not experienced that this is a table that uh, we are not uh, uh, free to speak. I have experienced this as a table that the members speak. And um, maybe I'm um, reading this table incorrectly, but uh, and maybe people are holding back in speaking, but that's not been the experience that I have had. And maybe there are more introverts here than I see, or people who are feeling that they are uh, somehow inhibited. Or I don't think that this. I don't think this is an issue we have at this particular table. And that this, I understand what Leah, uh, I understand the point, and there may be some tables that this is really, really important. I've not experienced it here. All right. Um, Swampy Soak Up Chair. So, um, I think my motion just died for lack of a second. <laughs> okay, so I, that's where I was getting to. Um, we had a motion that was not seconded. Um, do we have a motion to amend this form? Does somebody want to do that? Uh, uh, this is Paul Newsom with Lawrence Home Builder Association. I apologize, I didn't. Uh understand that I thought we were still in discussion. I would have seconded Ron's motion. Understanding it might be dead now. I just was, uh, I didn't know we were, I didn't understand where we were going. Okay. So um, I guess we have then a motion on the floor and it seconded at this point. So at that point, we would have any further discussion or I will call a roll. And so Ron's motion was to accept this form as it is presented. Is that correct, Ron? 
as it applies to this this the issue this, of this, this level of detail with this table being requested. Okay. So is there any further discussion on that? Okay, so the motion is to accept this table as shown. I am going to call the roll. And, oh, Shan or Dana, you've got a comment. <laughs> Thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise. Um, Leah, as you were moving the cursor around, it just had me have a question. On column, on cell uh, E14 available, will that be a rotating balance with all the other tabs so that we know what's available and balance in the in the um, in the remaining uh, funds available to give out uh, that will subtract the total that we apply for each tab? Because I, I heard you say one of the requests would be that we start with a balanced budget um, award. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. You're correct. The available um, column will stay the same. That's just the total funds, which I do need to update, but the remaining will change depending on the total here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other discussion on that motion? Okay, I'm gonna call the roll. Uh, yes vote is to accept as written, a no vote will continue discussion, I guess, on what we're gonna do. Uh, Shannon Reed. Yes. Tom Allen. No. Christina Gentry. Paul Newsom. Yes. Edith Guffey. No. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. No. Ron Gacious. Yes. Thomas Howe. No. Shannon Ori. No. Monty Soka. Yes. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yes. Five, no. So the motion passes. So the form will be as shown for this next round of funding. I appreciate everybody's discussion on that. Now let's go back uh, to Mr. Chair. Oh yeah, go ahead, Thomas. Yeah. So Thomas Howell, Lawrence Border Realtors representative. I might suggest that since that vote was reasonably close, that the next time we have a form presented, that we have uh, a little more time to discuss that. Uh, I think that you know, with with essentially a split vote on it, uh, there's obviously some some discussion that some more discussion that I think should be had. Okay, really noted. Okay, so let's go back to uh, the issue of the leverage. So, uh, Leah, if you could scroll us back to the on the matrix where we have the leverage question. 
So um, based on uh, Shannon's comments that the, the leverage will never be able to compete or be competitive on a voucher type project. Um, the only other way I see to be able to address that is to have the leverage question for capital projects and a different type of question on a project that is a voucher type of project. So each type of project would have the opportunity to get a full score. Um, what I don't understand or don't know is what that question would be. Um, that would show that there is um, that the, the you know that the I guess other funds other opportunities for funding have been exhausted. Um, I don't know what that would look what that question would look like. So I guess I would need if we were to do that or go that direction. I think we need to figure out what that question is. Go ahead, Ron. If you even want to go there. Ron, Ron Gacious, uh, Lawrence Chamber representative. Um, Mr. Chairman, I'm looking here at the leverage item and I'm asking myself, why am I even putting a score to the leverage number? The leverage number is useful for me to look at and understand, but even within the world of capital projects, Comparing the leverage number on a big light tech project like Penn Street Lofts to the leverage number on an effort to remodel seniors' homes so they can live in them another five or ten years is almost as much apples and oranges as comparing either one of them with vouchers and services. So what, what if we had a leverage number but we didn't attach a score to it. It wasn't, it, there, there wasn't a point attribution associated with it. But we could still look at that leverage number and, and incorporate it in our thinking when we're deciding what we want our funding priorities to be. Okay, Monty Silga, Chair. I, that's a great thought. I, the reason it's there is because it's one of the questions or one of the things stated goals was to leverage funding. So this, these questions that are up here at the top that you're scoring are related back to our goals. So that's why it's there. Uh, I so absolutely, absolutely appreciate that. But, so certainly, but, but why does the percentage turn into a, a point attribute? Right. It's, it's an information point leverage numbers are going to be different for every project. Right. So, um, you know, if it pleases the board, we can certainly move that down to the lower part of that where it is simply an attribute that is uh, stated as a fact of the project and not scored. That is certainly one an option and uh, certainly one we can entertain. Any thoughts on that? Moving, moving that down to key elements. I make that motion. Shannon Alry, Housing Authority. Okay. Do we have a second? I second that motion. Ron Gacious, Lawrence Chamber Representative. 
Okay, so we have a motion and a second on the floor. Any discussion on on that? Does everybody understand what we're doing? Moving the leverage question down here to project elements so we are not would not be scoring it as part of your evaluation. Yeah, this is Paul Newton, Lawrence Home Builders. So by doing that, would the other possible scores just increase in number to get it to total back to 100? If we're removing 25 possible points and a total score of 100, I guess we'd have to increase the other yes. point. We would have to spread the points a little bit differently. Yes, correct. Um, I, let, let me think this about, um, I, uh, my, my question about this is, um, the priority is, um, this is Edith Guffey. Yes. The priority is building homes, building affordable housing. And so was the intent for that really the leverage number and scoring that, giving that a bump, there really was a purpose for that. And does this change that in some way? This this is Shannon Nowry, Housing Authority. You know, uh, I, Edith, I think you can still make decisions based on it. So if somebody is coming and they're saying, I want a million dollars and I'm bringing a hundred thousand to the project, I still think anybody can say, you know, that's not sufficient. It's just hard when you're putting a score to something against a project that really can't be scored in that in that way. And so I agree with you. I think our priority is, is hard units on the ground. I think our priority is we want people to bring additional money to be able to get more bang for our buck. I think all of those are really important. And I still think we make decisions based on those. It's just when you generate a score based on numbers that don't match up, you sort of, you know, kind of undercut some other worthy projects that we also have in our goals. Uh, but conversely, Shannon, we, uh, we have always said that the score was never the only thing we consider. And so I don't recall that uh, we ever, um, like said, we were never, we were, that it disadvantaged just the score it disadvantaged the service project because we know that the service, uh, those pieces are important. So it's the, it's, it's the reverse of what you said. So I'm not sure that the leverage thing, whatever. I mean, in my mind, I always knew they were different. And so the, the leverage and the scoring thing never really made that big a difference in my mind. I know it's always been really huge for you, but it just never, yeah. They're just different projects. So we can take a vote. Yeah. <laughs> okay, is there 
additional questions on the motion that's on the floor. Yeah, Dana. Sorry, it's suddenly very noisy around me, so I apologize for the background noise. Um, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise. I agree with Edith regarding, you know, um, units on the ground and such. And I also want to include the and units for people that are um, experiencing housing insecurity. And so one of the quickest, fastest um, ways to get folks who have many obstacles back into housing is voucher systems and programs like that. And pandemic has shown us how massive that need is. And so, yes, units on the ground and vouchers. And I feel like it is is critical to, to affordable housing. Okay. Any other comments? Yeah, Wait, can you remind me when we decided we weren't going to do I know it feels like we've talked about, Shannon mentioned, it feels like we've talked about these different buckets. I guess initially we put numbers around the buckets to get at this issue, but maybe we just have a score of capital project, the same exact for formula, but we look at the service projects separately. I don't... I know that brings up other issues. So maybe it is, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe the leveraging, I guess my point is, I feel like the leveraging and scoring and however we use that to rank and really make our decisions is extremely important in capital projects, but it is not at all important in service projects. So does that mean we, we just leave the leverage number out there to use that to make your decisions and take it off the scoring matrix, which seems to be the only thing. But I, I agree with Edith. I don't want that to lose the priority or uh, the, the focus, too, on, on capital projects that often, you know, can take more funding, too, but, but we get a, a long-term supply, which I think is what that leverage score was trying to get at. Go ahead, Dana. I think that leveraging is important on those on those um, service type projects too. I think it's a critical component of it, but they just don't stand up in the same way. Looking, you know, they're they're not apples and apples when you're looking at a development project. So that we've had this conversation so many many times, and the only year that that it didn't seem to be an issue was when we had a separate, and I can't even remember why, but we had a separate springtime. NOFA and us, and then we have this NOFA more for um, units and development projects. Um, we had a capital kind of NOFA and we had a springtime NOFA because of $300,000 that came in from something. And that's the only year that I think we didn't have this conversation. Monty, okay. um, soak up chair. So the other, the only other option I would see is to have basically two matrices, one for capital projects and one for uh, non-capital type projects. I'm not sure that even gets to what we want to do because if you had a, uh, you know, a project where we're fixing existing houses, that isn't probably going to be leveraged. It's never going to reach the level. So um, I guess my, I, I guess I'm going to, 
I'm sticking, I think, with, I think we should take that question off of the ranking, but it should be in the, the part where we uh, evaluate the, you know, the project, the things that are in the project that are good. It's just, it's like, it's like using the number of dollars per bedroom, bedroom created or something like that. It's, it's a, it's a way to compare projects, but I'm not sure it should necessarily fall into our ranking. So, um, we have a motion on the floor to move the leverage ratio. It's already down there. It's really to remove it from the ranking piece and uh, reallocate the percentages around to reflect that elimination. And we have a second. Is there any further discussion on that? Can we take a vote on that motion? All right, I'm going to call the roll. Shannon Reed. Shannon must have left. Tom Allen. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Tom, I put you on the spot. Your first meeting, you had the first vote on <laughs> Tough subject there. Christina Gentry. Paul Newsom. Yes. Edith Guffey. No. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. No. Ron Gacious. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Monty Sokup. Yes. That is one, two, three, four. Nine, yes, two, no. Motion passes. Uh, so, Leah, if you make that modification for this round, uh, again, we'll leave some time to see how this works out, and we'll leave some time before the next NOFA goes out to kind of re relook at this. It's it's. These are complex projects, and to put a set set of criteria around them is kind of is tough. I understand that, and we're never going to be perfect. But uh, thank you for your work on that. Is there any Leah? Is there anything else with the NOFA other than we need to make a motion to approve the NOFA as modified today uh, to send it out? Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. That's it for the NOFO discussion, Mr. Chair, just a, um, approving all of the documents. And then if I could, I just um, wanted to bring your attention to um, the time yes. and that if the board wishes to continue with the agenda, um, there uh, should be a motion to extend. Okay. So um, I'm going to accept a motion first for this to approve the NOFA as the MOFA documents as modified, and we'll get that finished, and then we'll look at extending or terminating the meeting. So if I could have a motion. Mr. Chairman, this mm -hmm. is uh, Ron Gacious of the Lawrence Chamber uh, representative, and I move we adopt the NOFA as modified. And the second. Lawrence Board of Representatives, Lawrence Board of Realtors representative, I second that motion. Any further discussion? 
Okay, I'm gonna call the roll. Shannon Reed, Tom Allen. Yes. Christina Gentry. Paul Newsom. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Uh, Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. No. Ron Gacious. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Uh, Shannon Ori. Yes. Monty Soka. Yes, that is one. Ten, four, one against. Motion passes. All right. Uh, we have a couple items, a couple. Mr. Customers. Chair. Yeah. Mr. Chair. Thomas Al Lawrence Board of Realtors Representative. I make a motion that we extend the time of this meeting uh, to no later than 145. Okay. Do I have a second to that? Mr. Chairman, second from Ron Gacious, Lawrence Chamber Representative. Any discussion? Can anybody not do? I mean, is there people that need to leave? Yeah. Mr. Chair, this is Sarah Waters. I cannot stay. I need to go. Yeah. Okay. So we'd have. Sorry, I cannot stay. Okay. So we'd have enough people. I don't think we would have a quorum. So we couldn't conduct any business. Um, I, I guess. What we have are updates um, and the closing of the meeting. I'm going to suggest that we uh, that we don't extend the meeting and then we adjourn and push these things forward on the uh, agenda. So I don't know. I think we need to um, probably a lim uh, vote on the meeting to extend the motion to extend since that's on the floor and then we need to probably adjourn assuming that doesn't Mr. Happen. Chair, I, I withdraw my motion. Second withdraws. Okay. Okay. So I'd like a motion to adjourn the meeting and push these other items on to a further to the next meeting's agenda. So moved. Second. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read the roll and then we're going to be done here. Shannon Reed. Tom Allen. Yes. Christina Gentry. Paul Newsom. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Rebecca Buford. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Monte Soka. Yes. A motion passes 11 0. Um, we are adjourned. Thank you for your uh, patience today. I know we went over and just had a lot to cover. So thank you. Thank you. Peace out.